Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome. Welcome to another episode of your favorite podcast on the paranormal, hidden history, forbidden knowledge, conspiracy theories, and so much more. Joining me as always on this journey through the cosmos is a man who is carrying out, quote, research on autoerotic asphyxiation. Ryan, <laughs> what's up? Not a lot. That, by the way, is not why my voice sounds the way it does. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think of that, but that's perfect. Yeah, just <laughs> loosen the belt a little bit so we can do this podcast. <laughs> All right, so we really need you guys to share us on social media, and it's easy for you just to click share, but it's such a big help to us. And we want to announce our new presence on TikTok. We call it Cryptok because we're very creative here. And you can find it at cryptique underscore podcast on TikTok. We have a video up on a fentanyl vaccine, the Brittany Griner trade, and a new one on a maned wolf, which is a pretty cool animal if you haven't heard of it. So check that out. Check out the Parabox mystery t-shirt subscription service by clicking the link in the show notes. Now, let's talk about ultra-terrestrials and the C-tones. So the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis is essentially, what if UFOs came from remote locations on our own planet? A theoretical paper on extraterrestrials written by Dr. Hal Putoff and talked about for years has finally been published in the Journal of Cosmology. Under consideration in this document are two momentous statements. There is an unidentified phenomenon that interacts with the current human population on Earth. It is currently unknown if the phenomenon is exclusively alien, extra-dimensional, crypto-terrestrial, demonic, or jinn, proto- or ancient human, time traveler, or whatever else, or some combination or mutation of any of these. However, it seems highly likely that the phenomena is not exclusively made up of members of the current human population. Putov criticizes and analyzes each of the hypotheses. 
UFOs could be manned by aliens. The term as it's used here points to isolated and secretive cultures on our own planet. For example, an antediluvian society with high technology, something like Atlantis, or gods who are stranded here in ancient times. And by gods, we mean the ancient aliens type where it's, you know, some kind of alien visitor who's kind of guiding humanity. Yeah. As possible signatures of an extraterrestrial presence, the density of UFO sightings over the decades, if not centuries, could imply a local source rather than an outside one. Moreover, the extraterrestrial idea could be being injected on purpose to divert attention from the real crew in their shelters under the earth, mountains, and seas. The messages received by the contactees or abductees that talk about caring for the environment and warnings about a nuclear cataclysm would be possible, reasonable topics for a society located in the same place but isolated on Earth. Let's talk about the fear of coexistence with another intelligent species or ultra-terrestrial. So we're basically going over a paper, right? We're not, this is not necessarily our view, this is not necessarily our opinion, but this is a very well done study. And right. I feel like we need to just cover every aspect of it because it's a legitimate question. It's not, you know, some guy in a tinfoil hat saying there's aliens. This is a trained scientist that is expressing his thoughts on where this phenomena could possibly come from. But the secret existence of these ultra-terrestrials co-located with our civilization would be justified mainly by a widespread fear of exploitation, even annihilation, due to vulnerabilities despite possessing certain levels of technological superiority. So, you know, it would be wise for an unknown civilization to be weary of our diseases we've seen throughout history when it generally uh, European explorers go to remote isolated villages bring diseases that this place that they're visiting has never seen and it decimates them so right they would also fear assimilation and the consequent loss of culture religion customs and uncontrolled genetic mixing that is culture shock fear should also exist on our part in fact Puthoff finds the hypothesis he endorses terrifying since they would have been among us under our very noses and without us realizing it all this time. On the contrary, extraterrestrial visits in all probability being stranger could be safer. Even so, Puthoff concludes that the ultra-terrestrial does not annul the extraterrestrial since both possibilities could be occurring at the same time or be related to each other. Alright, so now we'll get into some ultra-terrestrial models. So, first, the background. In a decades-long view of the UAP or UFO topic, it is easy to become frustrated by a lack of progression, establishing sure and certain ironclad data points about even the most fundamental of issues. These issues prompt some key questions. Like, is the phenomena predominantly nuts and bolts, psychological or metaphysical, assuming such distinctions can be made? Is the source of phenomena predominantly terrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, so ancient occult groups, isolated, pre-Diluvian, high-tech societies, stranded ETs or gods or extraterrestrials? 
Has the phenomenon ramped up in our era, or has it essentially been consistent over the millennia? And are topics such as claimed abductions, crop circles, and animal mutilations truly related or separate categories of phenomena? Are institutions such as governments truly more knowledgeable than we are, even if only in certain protected domains, or are they essentially in the same position as we are? Yeah, so I guess basically he's questioning, does the government know about all this and they're just keeping it from us? Yeah, yeah. You know, we have all these different phenomena, we have all these different kinds of entities that people are interacting with and claiming to be abducted by or contacted by, but we're not really making much progress on determining where they're from or, you know, what their goals are, if they're more active, less active. Yeah, I mean, as a society, we're struggling to put everything together because, you know, we we see things like the Loveland UFO case, which we covered just had a ridiculously horrible investigation done into it and that's what the public has access to but what does the government have access to and you know there's probably different way or different reasons why they would you know hide this from the general public they don't think we're ready for it or it would you know they fear that it would kind of be a um, another yeah, like the World of the Worlds yeah, broadcast. Yeah. So they would be worried that, you know, we would go out and start killing people and, you know, stocking up on toilet paper. So, I mean, they're yeah. probably right. Yeah, they're not wrong. <laughs> people, people probably would they're, do that. They're not wrong. But, I mean, it's going to have to get to that point at some point in time. Humans, for the most part, don't have a clue. They don't want one or need one either. They're happy. They think they have a good bead on things. Well, why, why the big secret? People are smart. They can handle it. A person is smart. People are dumb, panicky, dangerous animals, and you know it. 1,500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was the center of the universe. 500 years ago, everybody knew the Earth was flat. And 15 minutes ago, you knew that people were alone on this planet. Imagine what you'll know tomorrow. In my opinion, the evidence is overwhelming that there's different entities out there of some sort that are making contact with us, whether they be aliens from another planet, a hidden human society, or anything like that. But yeah, they, they're getting us ready for this with movies and stuff like that. So, But let's talk about the critique. Yeah. Three factors stand out as weaknesses that potentially could be addressed by developing new strategies. They are data gathering. The data gathering is essentially passive. So typically events are reported and data is gathered and analyzed. This constitutes essentially a reactive as opposed to a proactive mode. So we're not necessarily reaching out to try and figure this out. We're just saying, okay, this happened. What could it be? We know that there's radio telescopes and all sorts of things that are tracking this alleged alien activity. But, you know, essentially it's kind of just, hey, this happened, what could the answer be? Even seemingly proactive movements simply constitute efforts to cause the government to release data to passive, ever-hopeful recipients. The ball is still in someone else's court. 
Other, more proactive measures could be taken, ranging from the more tech-intensive approaches to the arcane, uh, which would be like the search of, for evidence of anomalous manipulation of human genetic structure, and stretching to the esoteric, like remote viewing and telepathic contact. Our models and hypotheses are relatively restricted, although interested parties tend to be proponents of what would appear to be a wide range of hypotheses, ranging from it's all psychological, through interdimensional time travelers and angels, to greys and advanced spacecraft from Zeta Reticuli. There are additional options that are not taken very seriously and therefore go relatively unsearched. These include a hidden community of ETs or gods, possibly stranded here millennia ago like Zachariah Sitchin's Earth Chronicle series speaks of. Isolated remnants of a pre-diluvial high-tech society like the Atlantis myth, or an ancient occult group who happened to stumble on, quote, new energy sources and control of gravity, and including a post-World War II covert cabal of the military-industrial complex variety. Basically, I think what he's trying to get across there is we have kind of stolen some of their technology, borrowed or were given some of their technology, and that kind of goes into, like, the Nazi bell and stuff like that. Yeah. So we can get into some of this. Yeah, we can get into some of this in more detail. Um, analysis and speculation, not forensics, constitutes the present core modus operandi. As the various hypotheses are generated and pursued and data is gathered, considerable intellectual effort goes into attempting a fit between the two. Deriving from the instinctive human urge to reduce ambiguity in interpreting one's surroundings, this approach could profit by incorporating elements of a more forensic gumshoe style as in intelligence work. The fact that so many hypotheses remain on the table regarding the source of the phenomenon clearly indicates that forensic work to date has been inadequate to even eliminate certain options. I, I guess he's basically throwing out there that we're not doing a good job as a human population on Earth. We're not doing a good job of studying this phenomenon. But it's so interesting, and the possibilities are so endless and it could mean Armageddon or it could mean the Garden of Eden all over again but we're not putting a whole lot of effort into it which is very strange because you know scientists put effort into things that seem totally inconsequential all the time mm -hmm. this is the big thing and we're just kind of being like yeah we'll study what happened and maybe there'll be a cover-up and, and it's like this should be something that is just exhilarating to science this if you could answer this question you would go down in history with Einstein and Tesla and, and Plato and, and just people that were you know ahead of their time and it's it's just odd that there's not a whole lot of investigation into it and that kind of makes me think like yeah the government does know what's going on and i don't see them being like well we're just not going to do too much research into this 
spacecraft or, or some sort of aircraft that flew over our nuclear weapons facilities and stuff like that. You know, it's it's something that they, I, I just feel like they have to be investigating intensely and they're just not passing it on. Right, right. And that passage was a little bit cryptic in the way it was mm-hmm. written to me. But it seems to be, like you said, criticizing kind of the level of effort and the, the way that we're handling these things. Yeah. You know, saying that we're not we're not really getting any good forensic data or, you know, like an, a real analysis. We're getting people on the ground trying to do their own sort of uh, qualitative research. In any case, let's talk about the strategy for forward motion. It would benefit us to set aside our tentativeness about any given hypothesis, place it on the table as almost certainly true, and quote, go for it with an aggressive forensic mindset. So, some hypothetical examples. One, the extraterrestrial hypothesis. Crash and retrievals of nuts and bolts alien hardware has occurred, and the detritus or loose bits of organic material has been distributed to corporate America. If this is the case, telltale signatures could emerge under scrutiny. Some evidence indicates this could be the case. These would include a certain level of low-profile, possibly statesman-influenced, integrated investment control of a select set of global multinational corporations with convergent interlocking technology developments, like aerospace and electronics corporations. So I, I think that what he's getting at here is that there's corporations throughout the world that have actually gotten some of this technology and they want to keep it under wraps or claim that they kind of invented the technology and and they don't want other people to know about it i guess you can't patent like a mechanical piece that was retrieved from say a, a ufo crash or something so right right but If biological specimens have been retrieved, the development of unusual lines of biological genetic inquiry by highly qualified professionals whose career path would seem to diverge suddenly from what might have been extrapolated from their earlier work. So I think what he's getting at there is we need to look and see if there's scientists that have been going on this straightforward path they want to understand this and then whoop all of a sudden they took a right turn and started research on something completely different um you know viruses and stuff like that sudden initiation in the late 40s or early 50s without clear precedence and in no ufo related research institutes of concentrated development of new high strength high temperature low density intermetallic alloys funded by government facilities such as nitinol or nitinol uh, nitinol is amazing what is nitinol we'll find out after a quick break Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. 
Nitinol is a shape memory alloy with amazing properties. You can take a straight piece of Nitinol wire, bend and crumple it into a ball in your hand and roll it across the table. Then when you pick it up and toss it into a bowl of hot water, it will immediately spring right back to its original shape with stunning speed and force. Continuing with the strategy for forward motion, Prudhoff cites the accelerated development of geopolitical alliances, space weaponry, and other related technologies and developments for reasons not wholly interpretable in terms of national interest agendas like the U.S. Space Force. Evidence for covert manipulation of the UFO ET theme in the public sector by governmental entities. Evidence for highly classified programs addressing the UAP issue. Privatized access to space, such as SpaceX, Bigelow Aerospace, or Blue Origin. Or threats to national or international security might serve to stimulate the surfacing of certain technological developments or materials at an accelerated rate, and so on we are seeing technology accelerate and if, if you're looking say so we see technology rising like if you're looking at a graph okay so on the far left you have the late 1800s you have an automobile then you have eventually airplanes then you have computers then you have all of a sudden holy shit things are blowing up like it's not just computer it's computers that can make other computers that can make robots that can fix themselves and you know what i mean like what what he's looking for mm-hmm. is just a huge jump in technology yes with you know ai and and computers and in the technology that we currently have that as far as we know was invented by normal terrestrial humans it's going to advance quickly but how quickly you know what i mean if we now we start seeing night and all house frames or boat frames or something like that they mail it in a four foot by four foot box and you spray water on it and you know a greenhouse pops out or a boat or i know that's that sounds silly but that's the kind of jump we're looking for something just huge and without a lot of uh I guess research into it or development into it just like an immediate quick jump from like zero to a hundred so all right well let's talk about the isolated humans hypothesis Puthoff's not talking about isolated humans like the sentinel island people or people in amazon tribes he's alluding to a species maybe related to humans that maybe uh, developed underground. Yeah, uh, purposely isolated as opposed to uncontacted. Right, yeah. Well said. All right. An isolated, high-tech, closed community of humans with somewhat advanced scientific knowledge exists apart from the known culture. This might include continuing observation of technology only somewhat in advance of public knowledge, unaccounted for, missing financial assets, which... I mean, we, we don't even need to account for missing financial assets because our government just says, mm, it's going, you know, into the black book. So you don't get to know. Too bad. 
uh, industrial grade resources, possibly including individuals, covert misdirection of society in the absence of real evidence, to accept the likelihood of ET presence, the lack of evidence of extremely advanced sophistication of hardware, hardware clearly beyond present day design and manufacture, even conceptually. And that to me is just kind of a fancy way of saying, hey, these people might have technology that's at least on par with us, maybe different and maybe advanced, but it's just kind of a fancy way of saying that. So, Three, the stranded or colonizing ETs are God's hypothesis. So this would be the ancient aliens hypothesis and like the Anunnaki, if you've heard of them. So signs might include evidence and myth for high-tech interpretation of claimed devices beyond human capability of the era to manufacture. So nuclear powered algae production, like in the mana machine in or mana machine in biblical times. And in my opinion, this would include some of the hieroglyphs that we've seen of things that clearly one of the most famous ones is the helicopter Uh, clearly looks like a helicopter and it's, you know, carved into sandstone or painted or, or whatever. So it's basically like ancient Egypt knowing about helicopters millennia before they were invented. So hard evidence for isolated mountain bases detectable by satellite signatures of fast walker. Fast walker is a code word created by NORAD to classify unidentified flying objects which approach our earth from space and enter our atmosphere. It's been reported that from its subterranean facility deep inside Cheyenne Mountain, Colorado, USA, the Air Force NORAD facility tracks a rough average of 500 of these fast walkers each year. It also tracks uncorrelated target flight paths or anomalous undersea activity or bases detectable by distributed underwater monitoring systems. Covert elite group exercising occult religious influence in society, evidence for buried high-tech artifacts or locales with unusual signal radiation characteristics here or off-planet, showing that there is research being done by government agencies to track things such as UAPs, UFOs, you know, comets, meteorites, whatever, and, and that there's quite a few each year. Financial transaction timeline or other futures-oriented activity indicative of advanced foreknowledge. Evidence for teleportation of individuals or material over geophysical distances. Appearance of humanoids in conformance with predicted genetic evolution of present-day Homo sapiens. It's a helter-skelter montage of elements from much of the mythology of claimed UFO experience. With financial transaction timeline, I think what he's getting at is we look at like and this is more for people in the United States but like the 69 New York Mets were like eight games out of first place with like nine games left to play and somehow they won out and came basically from last place to first place in a matter of like a week right so if Mm -hmm. somebody was to go you know, when the Mets were eight games back with nine games left and put a 
$500,000 bet down for them to win the World Series, that would be a pretty good indicator that this person had knowledge of what was going to take place because, it, you know, people right. just wouldn't do that. To shift away from a strategy that relies solely on further content analysis towards what the intelligence world calls traffic analysis. That is, while not avoiding the strategies in place, we incorporate into our studies in as aggressive and proactive a way as we can muster more forensic work to expand our playing field and extract from the data and its surrounds more of the patterns and networks that appear to yoke the data together rather than just attending to the data itself. This takes such hard work and such a commitment of effort in new arenas of investigation, it probably also means being willing to press a given hypothesis to the limit, even though it may be the wrong one, so that our understanding of the range of possibilities to which we must keep our minds open does not act to disperse our focused activity. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I think what he's getting at is even if you think that it's the wrong hypothesis, you just hit it hard and prove it one way or the other and then that way you can eliminate it and move on to the next one. Ultra-terrestrials. Let's consider the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis, which is an ancient occult group or isolated Atlantis-type society, stranded ETs or gods, meaning stranded on Earth like Anunnaki, the, you know, they come here in their spaceship, it crash lands, and they can't they can't get out right they can't get back to where they need to go to so they're forced to you know just assimilate to life on earth if they can mm -hmm. um, and this includes sequestered terrestrial cultures existing alongside us in distinct stealth so that could possibly be like a Sasquatch right they're very human like and they obviously rely on stealth because we haven't caught one yet <laughs> so and and that would include cultures that may have developed underground basically what we're getting at is that ultra terrestrials are more like middle earth people like they're pretty human but probably not exactly like us being that they evolved in you know a different environment but that's what we're getting at with ultra terrestrials and we'll cover that after a quick break hey my name is ryan and i'm pretty sure i'm joe and we are the hosts of movie hell a podcast all about movies and pop culture we're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Howl is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. 
Hey, Crypt Keepers. I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. So getting back to ultra-terrestrials, the density of sighting over decades, if not centuries, is potentially indicative of a present-time local as opposed to extraterrestrial source. In other words, the UAP phenomenon is so constantly encountered as to argue against an occasionally visiting extraterrestrial explorer. What that means is that we're seeing so many UFOs, UAPs, whatever, Pudhoff is saying that it's unlikely that there's just random quote-unquote spaceships from other planets that are here so often that we see them as often as we do. That's what he's getting at there. Okay, so recent claimed focused messaging regarding elimination of nuclear technologies and concern regarding environmental degradation would be reasonable themes for a co-located but isolated terrestrial located society. That's basically saying that, yeah, they don't want to come out and meet us because they know that we try to kill everything. <laughs> so, via deception and disinformation, stealthily injected emphasis on the ET theme is a misdirection to prevent exposure of local terrestrial habitation. Maybe the government is saying, no, these UFOs are probably coming from other planets because they don't want to admit to the public that there's a secret underground society or whatever. Interactions with humanoids ranging from modern humans to creatures, little people encounters with non-humans that haunt our folklore, let alone genetically engineered biological robots or drones, and all variants within the lexicon of alternative forms of the human genome. <laughs> Uh, that's a fancy way of saying not human, right? Sounds like it, yeah. All right. Seeming emphasis on reproduction, like the harvesting of sperm and ova from certain genetic lines, which we see in abduction cases. Uh, hybridization, meaning that the alien or ultra-terrestrial or whoever the non-human or semi-human would try to assimilate genetically with us and that 
could bespeak outreach toward genetic diversity for a relatively inbred local isolated society on the wane and suffering from a potentially debilitating genetic syndrome. So there's theories out there like the greys can no longer reproduce. They have to, I know it sounds bad, but they have to like grow their babies in human wombs, right? Like right. we hear about abductees being impregnated. So that's what that's covering. Observation of vehicles not that advanced as opposed to magical, even if nonetheless well in advance of our own. So we see that with the Tic Tac. It is not incomprehensible that humans could produce something like that given the right amount of time. So it's not something that is totally lost upon us. It's just kind of something where mm -hmm. I think humans are saying, well, we'll get there. We'll figure that out. You know, it's, it's on the horizon. Okay, so the use of telepathic information transfer only marginally ahead of present-day technological neurobiological advances in the public domain. Mind speak. We hear that with Bigfoot. We hear that with the Greys. And what he's getting at with neurobiological advances, I think, is eventually humans are going to have technology you know, installed in their brains that could allow them to communicate telepathically. So I know this seems, you know, way out there right now. Stick with us and just understand that he makes a really good point. He's basically saying that we need to figure out the motivation of an ultra terrestrial to maintain its secretive existence. Due to vulnerabilities, despite possessing certain levels of technological superiority or fear of assimilation and consequent loss of culture, religion, customs, genetic mingling, like we talked about earlier, basically saying they don't want to mix with us. And, you know, I can't, if, if there's a, an extremely peaceful civilization out there, that is living in harmony with nature that you know settles things without violence i can't really blame them yeah we look at chimpanzees right and we're like oh my gosh they're so savage they you know they have their territories and if another group infringes on the territory they all attack and they kill their babies and eat them and we're like oh my gosh this is just so awful i can't imagine we're kind of doing the same thing. We may not be eating their babies. We may, but we may not. But certainly a peaceful group of humanoids could look at us and say, we don't want anything to do with them. Everything they touch turns to shit. And I couldn't really yeah. blame them for that. What might be the consequences for humanity of disclosure of an ultra-terrestrial group as compared with that of an extraterrestrial visitation? So, clearly the devil is in the details, but one could speculate that ultra-terrestrials might in fact be more dire than extraterrestrials, considering that they had been here amongst us, perhaps in very personal ways. In contrast, ET visitation in all probability being more foreign and uninvestigated could be, quote, safer. Are there any hints in the UAP literature that there's evidence that the ultra-terrestrial scenario outlined may have some validity? 
Author Nick Redfern in his book, The NASA Conspiracies, asserts that there is. His interview of an ex-NASA Gemini contractor led to the claim that there was evidence of a small band of individuals who were not aliens from some distant star system at all, but supposedly represented the last vestiges of a very ancient terrestrial race of beings that thousands of years ago had an advanced and isolated civilization that was responsible for the legends of Atlantis and similar stories, but who were forced to retreat into remote locales for survival, such as the mountains or the seabed. They were concerned about nuclear war and degradation of the environment, and this has led to some degree of attempting to influence our culture. However, they felt it had to be carried out under the ruse that they were from a distant star system to protect what they felt to be their vulnerable position, despite their advanced technology. Yeah, that would make sense. They want to influence you, but not totally come out and say, hey, we're, we're from under the mountains in China somewhere, and you guys are headed down the wrong path because they don't want to risk coming out and because they know what would happen. I, I mean, if it was found that there was a subspecies of human or any kind of civilization, even if it was, you know, just mammals of some sort or anything that lived under the earth, like deep down, we would be all over it. We would have teams of scientists there. We would have people there that, you know, would be making these decisions like, oh, no, it's safer if you guys come out here and, you know, you do this. We're going to put you in safe laboratories and we're going to put you in. And that's what would happen. Right. So, yeah, I don't blame them, you know, kind of whispering in our ears and not coming out, you know, with an iron fist and saying, you guys are really fucking things up. You want to tell us about the correlation with the ET hypothesis? Sure. Although the ultra-terrestrial hypothesis scenario considers an expansion of the model to include other than the simple extraterrestrial hypothesis, the predicted observable consequences of the two options are quite parallel. For our purposes here, careful consideration of data obtained along the way is matched against the templates for the two major options, ultra-terrestrial or extraterrestrial, keeping in mind that it might be both rather than either or. So, to kind of put a bow on this, we've been having visitations. That really can't be denied. Yeah, so extraterrestrial, ultra-terrestrial, I don't know, what would you rather see? People living deep in the Earth or aliens coming from other planets? I don't know. Because the motivations can be pretty different. Yeah. If it was a hidden civilization, they would have potentially a good reason to want to get rid of us. Sure. If they're worried about what we're doing to the planet they're living on, mm -hmm. that could be really bad. But when you're dealing with an extraterrestrial entity, like their frame of reference for what intelligence looks like or how society should be organized or, or behave could be so different from ours that we would have no idea how they would interact with us. Yeah. So one, on the one hand, we like for the extraterrestrial idea, we would kind of have no idea what they would do. Mm -hmm. And on the ultra terrestrial side, we would have an idea that they might 
like we would have ideas of what they might want to do and why. You know, yeah. they may have an interest in getting rid of us or doing things to limit our advancement or whatever else. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. The extraterrestrial side is kind of just chaotic because yeah. we don't know what they want. They might just be like, oh, interesting. Yeah. Look at these creatures on this planet and then just leave. Yeah. The ultra-terrestrials are more likely to be like, okay, this is a problem. <laughs> well, I see that, but think about this, all right? So... Ultra-terrestrials here on Earth were always here on Earth. Extraterrestrials are visiting from wherever. Now, they're starting to see our nuclear capabilities. And they're like, man, if they can put, you know, a Mars rover on Mars, if you believe that, they could send a nuclear weapon there. They could, you know, if they've got, you know, the space telescope that's 500 trillion billion miles away, it could be packed with a nuclear warhead. They could send a satellite or some form of spacecraft eventually to our planet with nuclear warheads on it, right? And so they're going to come and say, well, let's try and, you know influence them and tell them nuclear arms are wrong you know and and see if we can reason with them and then obviously we can't be reasoned with so (laughs) they're going to be like okay well your choice fuck you guys boom you're done but ultra terrestrials aren't going to destroy their own planet they may wage war on us they may come i mean we really have no idea. There could be a hundred billion of these humanoids living underground. They could come out and wage war on us, but they're not going to say, "Yeah, let's just blow the planet up," you know. Which extraterrestrials, I could see them being like, "Yeah, sorry, you guys are going to be a threat at some point." If you know, my kids yell, "Hey, there's a bug in here," and I go in there and it's a grasshopper. I'm going to pick it up. I'm going to let it go outside. But if it's a brown recluse, I'm squashing that motherfucker because it can't be reasonable, right? right? I can't say, hey, I'm going to put you outside, but don't come back here and get my Nikes. I'm not I'm not going to have you bite my toe and lose my pinky toe. If I have to kill you, I have to kill you. And as an extraterrestrial, I might be like, hmm, these guys, you know, and... and our technology is way too advanced for our mental capabilities. Like, you know, it's like you wouldn't put a three-year-old in a Lamborghini and be like, go for it. And I feel like some of our technology is like that. Like, we always manipulate things for war, for violence. And I just think that we're getting ahead of ourselves. But I, I digress. Yeah, an extraterrestrial could blow up the planet. Why not? So that's my final thoughts. Ready to move on to the after party? All right. Well, don't forget to check out our TikTok. We are at cryptique underscore podcast. Check out the Parabox Mystery T-shirt subscription link in our show notes. Like, subscribe, etc. Share us. Please share us. You guys have been doing great. We've been making a lot of advancements, but we need everyone's help. You can be a part of the show. After a quick break, we'll talk about what Chinese miners experienced in the deep, dark underground in the after party. 
Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. Ryan, War Booty, <laughs> tell us about the sea tones of China. On February 28th, 2003, a mine in the Chinese city of Zhizhi in Heilongjiang oh my God. collapsed. Thank you for the, <laughs> thank you for the assist. A total sure. of 14 miners never reunited with their families. However, this story became famous five years later due to an unforeseen turn of events. The Sea Tones, the tribe that lives in the depths of the earth. Only 12 of the 14 missing miners' remains were found by rescuers. But Lao Pen and Wan Hu, two of the laborers, were never found in the mine. After five years in 2008, Wan Hu mysteriously returned home, but his wife had remarried and his children had fled. Wan Hu moved into a new house and began gardening. However, the authorities soon became aware of the peculiar situation, and it was discovered that his family had received compensation that they should not have gotten because Wan Hu was still alive. When questioned if he and his family had taken advantage of the situation, Wan Hu stated that they had not, and that he had paid all charges to the government. Then they questioned him where he had been all this time. And he explained that he had been living in the great hidden civilization of the Tetones during his absence, and that he was unable to transmit a message from there indicating his survival. The authorities were perplexed by his unexpected answer, and they assumed he had become insane. One who was checked, but physicians determined that he was both physically and psychologically healthy. They blamed his dubious past on his imagination. However, physicians were unable to explain why the former mine worker exhibited no signs of anthrocosis, which is an asymptomatic, milder type pneumoconiosis as caused by the accumulation of carbon in the lungs due to repeated exposure to air pollution or inhalation of smoke or coal dust particles. According to Wan Hu's medical records, he was already showing indications of anthrocosis and planned to retire soon before the disaster. However, following his supposed stay in a subterranean city, the mining worker showed no signs of lung disease. Furthermore, he had all 32 teeth, despite the fact that his medical record said he should have just 25. Despite being 39 years old, his health appeared to be that of a young guy between the ages of 26 and 28. Wan Hu also had 40,000 yuan in his bank account. An official search revealed that he had an additional 10,000 yuan in cash and uncut diamonds worth 300,000. The authorities assumed that the individual was not one who, but rather a foreign country's covert spy. Later it was revealed that he obtained the funds by selling uncut diamonds to a jeweler in Shanghai. Wan Hu informed the authorities that he had received the gems from the sea tones. So this is basically his narrative. Not in quotes, but Wan Hu and Lao Pen were isolated not just from the surface, but also from other workers after the mine collapsed. They waited for three days with ample water, but almost no food, with no hint of rescue efforts. They chose to investigate old tunnels that led to the mine's deepest area, trying to find their way back to the surface. Unfortunately, such was not the case, and they continued deeper into the tunnel maze. And it was there that they were assaulted by weird human creatures known as the Sea Tones. The Sea Tones were able to apprehend the two miners. They fed them well, though, and drove them deeper into their domain. The Sea Tones had devised a system of lenses that lighted the tunnel so well that one could read a book in them. 
There were big caves at the end of the tunnels where thousands of sea tones dwelt. Wan Hu was certain they were human despite their poor status. For five years, the two miners lived among the sea tones. Their language was somewhat different from Chinese, but it was simple to learn and they were quickly able to talk with them. When they began communicating with the subterranean culture, they understood they were not slaves. The sea tones felt that life on the surface was a horrible burden, which led them to assume that Wan Hu and Lao Pen were attempting to flee to a better realm. And the underground civilization was free of hunger and sickness. Its main food source was the fungus that thrived in these caverns. I guess they just ate the uh, yeah. Christmas mushrooms all the time. Quite a yeah. diet. Fun life. <laughs> the fungus, according to Wan Hu, had a distinct flavor, something new, but more importantly, it was extremely healthful. That's why his teeth changed. This was frequent in the sea tones, whose teeth changed every 20 to 25 years during the course of their lives, which were seldom fewer than 200 years. The sea tones even possessed a sophisticated writing system. The subterranean society was well versed in metallurgy, but it rarely utilized iron. Instead, it relied on bronze, silver, and gold. They did not live in luxury and were satisfied with the bare necessities. Because the two miners were not considered captives, they lived among the sea tones as equals, even having families. This wasn't a horrible way of life, but one who yearned to see the sun. The sea tones attempted to talk him out of it, but he was adamant. He was escorted to a cave with a hole leading to the surface. After that, he was judged insane and sent to a military installation rather than the local psychiatric hospital. He hasn't been heard of again, thus becoming one of the strangest unsolved conspiracy cases. Well, I'm telling you, man, if science believed that there was this fungus that could, that could like regenerate teeth and stuff like that, one of two things would happen, or, or maybe both. A, pharmaceutical companies would work endlessly to suppress it and get rid of it and hide it because they want you buying their stuff. And there would undoubtedly be people that needed to find it to exploit it, mm -hmm. you know, for their own profit. What I do know is what happens to Chinese citizens who are healthy physically, but kind of go against what the government's narrative is. So there's probably some old rich dude in America walking around with Wan Hu's kidneys or a skin graft or heart. So that's that's what happens. I mean, it was pretty ballsy to come out in China and be like, hey, this is what happened, because you have to know that you're going to ruin your life by saying something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean... It's difficult to say out of the context of being there, but it doesn't... I can't imagine a scenario where that seems like a good idea. <laughs> it is what it is. But it's very interesting, and had I thought about it at the time, I would have done this as an after-after party. But there is a case... I don't know where it's at. I know it's in the Middle East somewhere. I want to say Turkey, where these people basically built an underground civilization. Now, they had to come out for certain things. You know, they had to, I, I, 
I'm assuming that they had to come out to like graze their livestock and stuff like that. But it was a whole underground society that had barn stalls for animals and tunnels that led everywhere with little apartment type places and stuff like that where these people hid because it was a rough territory at the time when they created this underground civilization and they just didn't want to be seen they wanted to remain hidden so there is precedent for humans to take to the underground and it's very possible that if these things whatever do exist it could be just the same as humans migrating from africa to europe and the americas and and then they also migrated to underground yeah so you know it could be a lot of things but we like to leave it open for you guys so let us know what you think at crypticpodcast at gmail.com don't forget to subscribe and share on social media please and go to the show notes and click on the parabox link you'll be glad you did and don't forget to check out cryptoc it's the cryptique podcast tiktok and it's at cryptique underscore podcast on tiktok it's hard to say even for someone who talks as much as i do in any case i think that's all we've got sorry for all the technical jargon but it was important for you to understand that this is a legit scientist that is posing these questions it's a little different than when we just say oh this guy wrote a book and he thinks this there were some very strong points made so thanks for sticking with us good evening crypt keepers <laughs>